0: Turn all these gadgets on. Again, if, uh, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Nehemiah. That's in the Old Testament, by the way. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 13. What I want to talk to you about for the rest of our time Boy, we've got a little over 30 minutes. That's good. What I want to talk to you about is a call to purity. A call to a, a pure life. Purity of life. Holiness and righteousness. and And even if I can... Uh, use the word uh, sinlessness. Boy, wouldn't that not be nice if we could reach the point of sinlessness in our lives. Some people say, well, that's an impossibility in this world that uh, you'll have to wait, brother, until you cross over Jordan, cross over into the next life, into the next world before you can achieve that That Total perfection, sinless life, uh, perfect purity. But I don't know. I, I've often wondered about some verses that I that I know are in the Bible. Uh, one of those verses is is uh, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now if that is true, boy, thank you, there is. if that is true, that I can do all things. Not in myself. Not of myself. But I can do all things through Christ or in Christ. Then is sinless perfection in this life impossible? You say, yeah. For you, it is. Well, amen. I agree. For me, it is. But it is not for Christ. Christ was sinlessly perfect. He He lived the sinless, perfect life for me 2,000 years ago. And I believe with all of my strength, with all of my heart, with all of my mind, that Christ in me can still live that sinless, perfect life. The problem is is that I get in the way. That that I hinder Him. That I I keep Him from fulfilling in me what it is that, that He has a desire well, Brother Mark, are you telling me that you are able to hinder, to stop the hand of God, the arm of God, the will of God, the desire of God? And in some, some instances, some circumstances, yeah. That, that is true. That is what sin is all about. Is that we stop being what it is that God wants to be in us and through us. Uh, Nehemiah had, uh, had left Jerusalem, you know, uh, back in chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see Nehemiah and boy, what a, what a mighty man of God. And I, I realize that there are no great men of God, there are only men of a great God. And I say that all the time. There are no mighty men of God, there are only men. Only men. We're all just men, women, boys and girls. We are men of a mighty God, of a great God. But boy, you look at people like Nehemiah, that was willing to take a stand. As a matter of fact, he he threatened some people. I read through this this uh, book over the past few days, and, and I ran into him telling people. He says, "Hey, you're going to stop what you're doing, or I'm fixing to lay hands on you." Now we we uh, we were in Sunday school this morning, and somebody said uh, something. I think it was Miss Kathy. Uh, Edward said something about laying hands on somebody. Maybe it was Miss uh, Nancy. Uh, I don't know. somebody. And I says, what do you mean by laying hands on somebody? Oh, it was Miss Nancy. And she said, laying hands on them, praying for them. And I says, oh, see, I, I was uh, thinking you was talking about laying hands on them. <laughs> and that's exactly what Nehemiah was talking about doing. You're going to get your act right. You're going to get your mind right. You're going to get your heart right. You're going to get your life right with God. And he was talking to the people of God that was under his ministry. And he says, You're going to get this thing right or I'm going to lay hands on you. And he was not talking about praying for them. But he, uh, he went into, he was the king's cupbearer. Babylonian king, Babylonish king. And he would go in and he would prepare the food and the things for the king. And he would have to taste test it to make sure he didn't die and uh, that it was poisoned. That was his job for the king. I would go in there every day with a fallen countenance. You know, I would be afraid. Not of the king, but of the (laughs) job that I had to do for the king. But he went in every day with a smile on his face. Except for this day. And he went in and his countenance has fallen. And the king of Babylon saw it. Shennacherib, I believe was his name. And he asked him, he says, what's wrong with you? You never look like this. he says, well, I got news from home back in Israel. I got news from Jerusalem that the city has fallen, that the walls are crumbled, the temple has fallen. The doors are off the hinges of the gates. The gates of the wall are gone. They're missing. All of these problems are going on with the house of God. And the king asked him the question, He says, what is it that you are partitioning me for? In other words, in our language, what he says is, what do you want? And then the Bible says, And Nehemiah prayed and answered him. That fast. Now the answer was not that fast. But the prayer. You understand, he had no time to say, oh, wait a minute, I haven't thought I was going to run into this with you this morning. I didn't realize you was going to see this look on my face. I didn't know any of this was going to happen. And I really haven't talked to the Lord about what it is that He would have me do. So uh, so give me a minute. I'll be back in an hour. Give me an hour to pray. Kind of like Moses told Pharaoh. Give us three days' journey out into the wilderness. Let us worship our God. and I'll come back. Give will you. No. He immediately, in his heart... I believe his prayer went like this. God, help me. God, help me. And he answered him. When's the last time that you didn't say some long, drawn-out, flowery prayer to God about what situation is in your life, your home, your family, your church, your nation... We spend two, three hours building a prayer that may not reach through the ceiling of our home because it didn't come from a broken heart. Because it didn't really come from a person who is torn over personal sin as well as national sin. Family, sin, church, sin, business, sin. And we, we just, you know, we say a lot of, lot of words. I tell people sometimes, you know, you said a lot, but you really didn't say anything. And that's true. Sometimes, when, even when we talk to God. We say a lot of stuff, but it didn't amount to much. But I'll tell you what, when Nehemiah bowed his head, if he even bowed his head and closed his eyes and mumbled under his breath, God help me. He meant it. God heard and answered that prayer. He had now left Jerusalem and gone back. We're at the last chapter, by the way. Nehemiah has 13 chapters in it. He's already left Jerusalem. All the work is done. Sanballat, Tobias, all of these enemies of the cross, enemies of, of uh, Judaism, and in our sense, Christianity, has come against him. There's been a great battle to, to accomplish the mission that the king sent him on to go back and to rebuild the walls. And... and you know, I started to name this, this message. Uh, instead of name, calling it a, a call to purity or a call to uh, purity of life, I started to call it re, rebuilding walls or building walls. Building walls in our heart, our homes, our families, our lives, our church, our nation. Certainly we need to go back to the foundational, fundamental truths of the oracles of the world, Word of God and rebuild some things in our own lives, our own homes, our own families. But one of the things that I noticed that we really, really need to rebuild as far as the walls in our hearts, our homes, our families, our lives is a life of, of purity. And now in chapter 13, He's already left Jerusalem and gone back to Babylon as He had promised the king that He would do. How long He has been back In Babylon, I don't know. But he gets word again of what's going on in Jerusalem. Now after the temple has been built, by the way, Ezra, the book of Ezra, is about Ezra going back to rebuild the temple. Nehemiah going back to rebuild the walls and rehang the gates. And now after all the work is done, and he left people behind in the city to carry on the ministry. And now he hears that is still not doing well. Oh, the walls have been built. The gates have been hung. The temple's there. There are churches on every corner here in America. You know, somebody walked in the church here uh, Wednesday night, and there were only just a very few, handful of people. And somebody, I don't remember who it was, says, where's all the people? And I says, well, here's the church and here's the steeple and you open the doors and really, where where are all the people? What has happened to America? Well, there's a lot of churches that are filled with people, but the people that they're filled with are not doing or carrying on the work. The work of, well, you name it. Whatever the work is that God has called us to do. Sometimes we think that, well, He's called us to show up on Sunday mornings. My friend, listen, there's a lot more to it than that. There's Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, but there's even a lot more to it than that. Well, there's Sunday school. No, there's a lot more to it than that. We're talking about coming to the to the Red Cross, the church. We're talking about coming here on Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. All of those things that we might receive instruction and strength from the Word of God that we might go out and live the life that God has called us to live, to do the work of the ministry. By the power of the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, go out and do the work of the ministry that God has called. Not just your pastor, do, But God has called all of us to do. We've been called by God, by the Word of God, by the God of the Word to do the work of the ministry. Well, he's gone back to the royal court in Babylon. Uh, How long? I, I don't know how long he had been there. But he found, you know, that what he left behind in Jerusalem was in terrible, terrible condition. You want to know what's wrong with America? It's not, it's not the drug crowd or the abortion crowd or the, the alcohol, which is a drug. It's not you know, the riots in the streets. You want to know what's wrong with America? It's not, it's not the lost crowd. It's the church crowd that is the issue. If my people, and I quote this all the time, and probably you can quote it too, if my people which are called by my name, my people, my people, not the devil's people, not the world's people, but if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face, turn from their wicked way, pray, then will I hear from heaven and heal their land. The reason that our churches are not healed, the reason that our homes and our families are not healed, and and literally, I believe that the family is the... Well, it's the thread that is woven together that make the fabric of society. And the fabric of society is being torn apart one thread at a time until the weave has become so loose that literally it is falling apart at the hems, at the seams. And the reason is not because of the lost world, but because of the Saved world. The Christian world. He goes back and at once, what this man of God does is he raises his voice loud and clear so that everybody in Jerusalem within the walls that he went back and rebuilt, that everybody there could hear exactly not what his message was but what the message of God is. See, a lot of people come to church, they listen to the man standing behind the pulpit, and they don't really pay much attention because they look at it as though it is a message from a man. This is your opinion. My friend, I want you to realize that this is not my opinion. This is God's Word. Yeah, but it's your interpretation of God's Word. I wouldn't give you five cents for my interpretation of God's Word. But my friend, the illumination of the Holy Spirit that God will give you, not only me. We can come together we say, well, why is there Baptists and Presbyterians and Catholics and Methodists and, and Pentecostals and all of these different groups and denominational distinctives of what we call Christians? Why can't we agree on anything? Well, I'll tell you why. Because every man is turned to his own way and we interpret the Bible in light of our lifestyle and what it is that we like and what it is that we want rather than what it is that God says. We're receiving interpretation of man rather than illumination of God because we're not willing to surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to the Word of God no matter what it says, whether we like it or not. God, if You'll open my heart, my mind, my understanding, lead, guide, and direct, then I will surrender my life to Your Lordship. But we're not willing to do that. We'll say amen, but then we get up and go out and we still do exactly what it is that we want to do rather than what it is the Word of God commands, not request. But He commands us to do. Well, they had hindrances. Hindrances. They had issues. They had problems going on in their hearts, their homes, their families, their lives, their minds that were keeping them from being able to do. And you see, we all come up with with reasons why we do what we do or sometimes why we don't do what we should do. And, And as a matter of fact, a lot of the hindrances, a lot of the things that are going on in Nehemiah's day and time are the same hindrances the same issues, the same problems that we have in our life today. And I would like to notice some of uh, some of these issues. We're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter 13. And uh, we'll skip around because I've got, you know, only a short amount of time. I think I've burned about half of it already. And I haven't even read any of the Scriptures. So uh, we're going we're gonna to start by reading verse 3. And you look at what it says. Now it came to pass when they heard the law that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitudes. Now, here's what has happened, all right? I've already built the stage of Nehemiah going, rebuilding, doing the work, appointing people to continue the work, going back to Babylon. Now he hears they're not doing so good, so he goes back and he confronts them. And he confronts them with none other than. the word of God. Remember what it said in verse three. Now it came to pass when they heard the law. People right there shut you off today when you hear well the law. You see, well, no, we're not under the law. We're we're under we're under grace. That was then, this is now. We're no longer bound by the law. Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law. And the law was fulfilled by Christ, so therefore, we're not bound to the law. That is demonic theology. Because we are bound still by the law of God. We're just not bound by the law of God for righteousness. In other words, I don't become righteous in such a way that I earn my way to heaven by keeping the commandments of the law of God. I don't have to keep the law of God to be saved. But if I am saved, then God's going to change my heart to where I have a desire to keep His law. Oh, not the ceremonial law, the types of law that Jesus Christ fulfilled, which were pictures of who He was before He came. All of the Old Testament law, we're studying one in in Exodus, talking about Moses and the you know, plagues that God sent on the nation of Egypt, and ultimately that last one where the death angel came and flew over the nation of Israel and painted the doorpost. You um, was talking about a song that speaks of that earlier today, but see that's a picture. Of the coming of Christ. The shedding of the blood of the Lamb of God. And they shed the Lamb's blood in the Old Testament and painted the doorpost, which we paint the doorpost of our heart. And certainly, we don't have to keep those ceremonial laws anymore. But what about moral law? What about civil law? Certainly, God has commanded us to live a holy and moral life and that we might obey the laws of the land unless the laws of the land disobey the laws of God. And then we are loosed from them. But my friend, I want you to realize something where it says in verse 3 Now it came to pass when they heard the law. What was it that they did? When they heard the law of God, it says that they separated themselves from the mixed multitude. You say, Oh, see, now that's racism, right? Wrong. We're not talking about red, yellow, black, and white, even though that may have encompassed some of their separation. But it was not because of the color of their skin that they separated themselves from the mixed multitude. The mixed multitude that they separated themselves from were the worldly from the godly. The godless from those that are holy and righteous. The people of God, what this boils down to is a relationship that they had with a group of people who were worshiping false gods, idols, idolatry, and in some cases, even no god. They were heathens. Now, we have a lot of that in America. As a matter of fact, that's why I do not believe that there's really any hope for America any longer is because we have grown into such a separation between the haves and the have-nots and I'm not talking about I'm not talking about monetary things. Well I guess I am. But it's not money. The have the haves are those who have Christ. Those who have holiness, those who have God, those who have true religion, not false religion. The have-nots are those who are still dead in their sin and trespasses. And the Bible says that when we read the law, when we read the Word of God, and the Word of God teaches us to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. I'll be unto you a God, and ye can be unto me a people. What we're talking about is getting the church out of the world. And say, so we come here and we've got our... Halo's all polished. We've got our big three pound, you know, coffee table Bibles under our arms. And we look good on the outside. But the Bible says that we're like the sepulchres that they used to bury people in that Jesus was buried in. They would roll a stone in front of it and seal the stone. And then on the outside, they would paint it, they would whitewash it. They would take a bucket of white paint and paint the rock that was rolled over the hole. The rock was to keep the stink in. And the white was to... You could draw little birds and flowers and make it look really nice on the outside. You see, on the inside, it was still full of dead men's bones. It was full of rot and stink. Wretchedness. And I'm afraid that sometimes the church is that way. On the outside it looks good, but on the inside, we who are called by the name of Christ, when we go out into the world, we're still living worldly lives. But the call of Nehemiah upon the nation of Israel was for the people of God to separate themselves From the world. Come out from amongst them. Oh, I know. We're called to rub elbows with the world. We're called to be a part of the world. To go ye therefore into all nations. And those nations are filled with heathens and lost people. Yes, but we are called to be the salt of the earth. We are called not to blend in with them, not to become a part of their heathenistic lifestyles and who they are, but that we might have an impact on them and that they might come to join us and that they might surrender their lives to the Lordship. So, point number one, the hindrances of the church today is the same hindrances... Of the kingdom of God under the Old Testament, then that the people of God that were left behind to do the work of God, Nehemiah had to go back and reiterate the word of God, the law of God, the commandments of God to them that they might come out of the world and live a life that is pleasing to God, a life of purity, a life of holiness. But secondly, you look at verse 4 through 9, and it says this, verse 13, chapter 13, verse 4, says, And before this, Eliashu the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied with Tobiah. And he had prepared for him a great chamber. Now listen, Tobiah was one of the men of God that when Nehemiah went to Jerusalem from the nation of, uh, of uh, Babylon, when he got there, these were men that were coming against the work of God to rebuild the fences, to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the, the gates that were hanging, to rebuild the temple, to reestablish... The Word of God. This man was an enemy of Christ. He was an enemy of God. He was an enemy of the Word of God. And Eliashib the priest, the man who was in control of the temple of God, the house of God, the chamber was allied with the enemy. And he had prepared for him a great chamber in the house of God, where aforetime they this is a this is a room that was set apart for holy things, meat offerings, frankincense, vessels. Verse five and the tithes of the corn and new wine and the oil which was commanded to be given to the Levites. These these were the very things that were to to prosper and to help the men of God to survive and the singers and the porters and the offerings of the priest. But in all this time was not I at Jerusalem. I wasn't there to oversee this. For in the two and thirteenth year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, uh, came I unto the king. And after certain days obtained I leave of the king. And I came back to Jerusalem and understood the evil of Elisha. Uh, What he had done for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me sore. Therefore, I cast forth all of the household stuff of Tobiah out of the house of God, out of the chamber. Then I commanded, and they cleansed the chambers. And tither brought I again the vessels of the house of God. They had taken away the holy vessels out of the house of God and made a bedroom for the enemy of God in the house of God. He kicked them out and brought the vessels of God back in with the meat offerings and the frankincense. My friend, I want you to realize something that is as important as it is for us to get the church out of the world. We've got to get the world out of the church. And see, the priest, the man of God, had brought the unholy things and even the unholy lost people. Did you know that the church is full of lost folks? Did I say that right? Maybe maybe I can retwist it just a little bit. The church house. The church building. The wood, hay, and the stubble. You know, here's the steeple. There's all the people. A lot of them that are inside there, they don't know God. They don't know the Lord. And the ones that are inside the building that do know the Lord, they have not separated from themselves. Well, well, Sometimes it's even hard for us to tell who is and who ain't. I believe the Bible says that even the disciples said, oh, wait a minute, Lord, do You want us to root up the tares out out of the wheat, out of the house? No, no. You let them grow up and I'll show up one day and I'll separate the wheat from the tares. God has a winnowing tool we don't have. It's called omniscience. He knows everything. We don't know everything. But my friend, I want you to realize something that when you see people in the house of God that are not interested in the things of God, the Bible commands us, not requests us, but commands us that we are to do what Roman numeral one says, that we are to separate ourselves from them, even though God tells us we're not to separate them literally, physically from the house of God, but make note of them and know not to eat. You know, I don't believe that's talking about sitting down at a table at the fellowship hall with them. Certainly we can sit down at a fellowship hall. Certainly we can sit across the table from people who have come and and joined the church who are lost. And we can look across at them and smile and be pleasant. But my friend, we as Christians ought to recognize... Well, what do you call what do you call a $100 bill? that's not real. Oh, a counterfeit. Counterfeit. Can can you tell a counterfeit Christian when you see one? Can you tell a counterfeit? Well, they say and I don't know, maybe Miss Diana knows. She's worked in a bank long enough and dealt with enough money. They say that you can feel the difference between the real and the and the fake or the counterfeit. You you don't have to. They got these little lights and stuff now that make it easy. But I, I, I've got a light that makes it easy. The light of the Word of God, you can shine on people and see. You can see their skeleton through their skin. You can see what's on the inside through what's on the outside because of the light that you hold them up to. And you can find out, well, you know, I don't know, maybe he's saved, but he ain't living right. What am I to do? Be a light. Not only is this a light, but I'm to be the light that shines. That they might look and see Christ in you, Christ in me, and be drawn to the light. See, we don't put people out unless they just outwardly, blatantly sin so against God that you have no choice but to enact what the Bible calls church discipline in a person's life. Most churches don't even know what that word is anymore. They wouldn't have a clue what to do with people who claim to be Christians who are living like hell inside the church. I'll tell you what God did. He killed Hophni and Phineas. He, he killed the sons of Aaron because of their lack of of submission because of their rebellion against holiness and righteousness and purity, didn't take the word of God seriously. Didn't take the Father, their Father Aaron, their Father Eliah. Elias, Eli, didn't didn't take him seriously. Believed that well, God is a God of love, and I can do what I want to and live like I want to. I don't have to be pure, do I? To really be in with God, certainly. God is a God of love. God is a God of grace. God is a God of mercy. But my friend, I want you to never forget that God is a God of holiness. God is a God of righteousness. We are not only to get the church out of the world, but we are to get the world out of the church. But we also have a relationship. We see a relationship To the house of God. You look at verse 10 and verse 11. And it reads like this. And I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them. For the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled, every one, to his field. The, the, The flock had scattered. Not only the flock, the congregation... But the ministers, the Levites, they were the priests of the day. They were the pastors of the day. Remember, you had priests and you had prophets. Prophets spoke to the people on behalf of God, but the priests spoke to the people on behalf of God. Prophets spoke, yeah, prophets spoke to people on behalf of God, priests spoke to God on behalf of people. It's a two way conversation. But the bottom line is this. Is that even the ministers from behind the pulpit, whether they were prophet or priest, they had been scattered and weren't doing what it was that God had called them to do. And you look at verse 11, and it says, And I continued, con- contended with the rulers, the ministers, and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Boy, would to God that we had somebody like... And I mentioned in Sunday school this morning, a man by the name of Patrick H. Mell. M-E-L-L. I have four more. I bought five of his books. He was was on the board when they first formed the Southern Baptist Convention back in uh, uh, 1845. He became... The uh, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention in 1866, and uh, he remained there for uh, three or four years, and then he got sick, and he was sick for several years, and he lost his wife, and he had you know some, and then he became the president over the Southern Baptist Convention again, and he stayed there until the year before he died in the 1880s, 17 years, if I'm not mistaken that he served as the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And he had several people that would write letters and come against him for the doctrine that he preached and taught. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of the same doctrines that are preached and taught from behind this pulpit that a lot of people like to come against and rail against, but they nevertheless are the truths of the Word of God. And I'm telling you that our convention, it's not not the, the Catholics or the Methodists or the Presbyterians or the Pentecostals. Remember, if judgment starts, it must start at the house of God. And we are the house of God. And we as God's people have fallen away so far from the truths of the Word of God that we need a Nehemiah. We need a Patrick Mell. Somebody that will stand up and say, that's wrong and this is right. We need to get our conference, our church, our convention, reformed, reformation, back in line with what it is the Word of God says. That we might submit our lives afresh to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You, uh, you have the time. I don't. I see that I'm burning your time now. You go to Malachi chapter 3 and read verse 8 through 10, and you'll understand the relationship that the house of God, the people of God, should have with the God of the house, the God of the people. But listen, lastly, and I'll, I'll hurry. What it is that stands in the way is the marriage relationship. You see, what I said was the relationship that the church has with the world, the relationship that the world has with the church, the relationship that the house of God, the people of God have with the God of the house and the God of the people. But what about the marriage relationship? You look at verse 23 through 25 and it reads like this. In those days also saw I Jews, in those days of the days that I went back to Jerusalem and I saw that everything that I had left behind had been turned upside down. We rebuilt the wall, we rebuilt everything, we, we reformed the church, we reformed religion, we reformed the house of God, the place of God, the people of God. And yet now, I've I've not been gone, but just a little while, and I hear everything is blowed up again. So I go back and I'm telling them all of the things that need to be set back in order. We need to get the the world out of the church. We need to get the church out of the world. We need to get the people of God back in the house of God. By the way, I understand what the masks are all about and the mandate And separation. I understand what COVID means. But it means very little to me compared to what God means to me. Compared to what being faithful to God means to me. You say, oh yeah, but you you don't understand. I'm I'm elder. Well, I'm elder. Uh, I've got secondary... Issues. Well, I've got issues of my own. It's not funny. (laughs) But I do know this. That you can't scare me with heaven. Say, oh, well, I ain't scared of going to heaven. I'm scared of leaving my wife or my children or my family behind. Listen, do you believe in God or not? Is God on His throne? Yeah, but I don't know what He's going to do. Well, I don't either, but I trust Him. I believe He has my best interest at heart. Do you? Do you really believe that God has your best interest at heart? Well, then why is it that you're trying to second guess it? And trying to make things work out in your favor, in your mind, in your world, apart from... Allowing God to be God. Well, again, we see another issue that they had, that we have, and that's the marriage relationship. You look at verse 23, and it says this, In those days I also saw Jews that had married the wives of Ashdod and Ammon. Now Ammon and Moab, you know who they are. They are the sons of Lot incestuous children given birth by Lot's daughters by their father Lot. Now if you're talking about marrying yourself to the things of the flesh, it doesn't get any worse than that. It says, In those days I saw Jews that had married the wives of Ashdod of Ammon and Moab and their children spake Half in the speech of Ashdod, they speak the language of the world and could not speak the language of the Jews. Do you understand what I'm saying? We've got half-breeds in our homes, in our families, in our churches. they got one foot in the world and one foot in the church. They're watching mama and daddy say this, but do that. And now they don't know what to say themselves. They don't know how to speak the things of God because they don't see the things of God. Oh, well, they do at church, but they don't at home. We have married ourselves to the sons and daughters of Ashdod, the world of the sons and daughters of Ammon and Moab, the incestuous children of Lot, to the things of the flesh. And now we're raising up a home. We're raising up families. We're raising up children and grandchildren inside of our house that we will not only... You know, I put something out. It's better to take our children to church than to send them to church. But then I thought about it while I was doing this. And I said, well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's better to send them to church and let them see the pastor and some of the people that are in the church who not only preach and teach the Word of God, but actually live the Word of God. Rather than some parents taking their children to church, watching them sit there and look at their phones while the preacher's preaching, and then go back home and listen to them cuss and fight and watch garbage on TV and get a mixed message and now they don't know how to speak English, much less Christian. My friend, if we're going to be married to Christ, if we're going to be the bride of Christ, then let us be faithful to our groom. Let us be faithful to our husbands that we might be pure. A pure bride. A holy bride. Unto our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14 through 18 puts it like this, and I don't think that I can put it any better. It says, What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Ye are the temple of the living God. Wherefore be ye separate. Separate the church from the world, the world from the church, separate ourselves from Unto, that's called consecration. Unto the house of God. Unto the things of God. And then realize that as the bride of Christ, we have a call to purity, to holiness, to submission, to faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You for Your love, for Your mercy. God, thank You. For this study that You've allowed me to be a part of over the past several days. God, I have gotten so much out of this. Lord, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would do that same work in all of Your people's hearts. Not only here in this congregation, but God, all across America. God, that we might realize our call to purity, holiness, righteousness, faithfulness. The purity of a, of a chaste bride, to a holy groom. God, we'll give you the praise for that. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen.